You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Philippians chapter 3 today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it to that. And, but I wanted to bring you a bag of some goodies, uh, of some stuff from my childhood, right? And so it starts with my favorite thing growing up. When I was a kid, you can see his face sticking out, was Transformers. Are there any other fans of Transformers in here? All right, a couple. All right, you guys know the joy, right? That you would create these guys. And so I got Bumblebee and Optimus Prime, right? I love Transformers. Every time I had birthday money, Christmas money, money I'd just find in my sister's room, I would go and get a Transformer. And I love Transformers. I, I'd just sit there. Sometimes I'd make a battle between the Autobots and Decepticons, but most of the time I'd just sit there and transform them, set them up, transform them again, put them back down as a car and whatnot. And so I love Transformers. That was my thing. That was where my heart was in elementary school. I loved them. But then as I grew up, my heart began to change a little bit. And I grew into loving sports, right? I love sports, any sport I love to watch, I love to play. I especially love soccer. I was not especially good at it necessarily, um, but I, I loved playing. And so I tried out for the soccer team in high school, and my freshman year, I was so pumped and, and excited, tried out for that, didn't make it, but my parents had already paid the $45 sports fee, so I played JV tennis, all right? And so, uh, and so I tried out my soccer my sophomore year, I made it on the freshman-sophomore team, and I rode the bench, but junior year, I tried out again, I was a little bit bigger, and I enjoyed JV tennis one more year, and... <laughs> So, yeah, but I love soccer, right? And actually, I'm going to have Carl hold that. Carl's, oh, oh sorry. Oh, it's going. Carl is helping me build a fence out at, at our house. And so I am so thankful to Carl. And so if you will hold on to that, I'll get it back here in a little bit. Um, so that was my heart with sports. I loved to watch Sports Center all the time. Some of you can relate. And that was my heart's desire. But then I discovered something even greater than sports, Sarah Carell. At that time, Sarah Doherty, and I, uh, this was where my new heart's desire was, right? And so we loved watching movies, and so we got married, and through the many years, we have collected endless movies when we first got married. And so I got this DVD binder of all kinds of stuff, and we got action movies, we got Arnold Schwarzenegger in here, we got, this is one of three binders that we have at home. I got the season to news radio. Anyone remember that? That was good stuff. Uh, all kinds of good movies, right? And so that was my new heart's desire, I was watching movies with her and staying up late. And now my heart has changed. We have four kids. There is no staying up late. There's no quiet time where you can get two hours of peace in a house to watch a movie. Um, I have not watched a single movie. I've not played with Transformers in 35 years or 30 years. Uh, let's be honest. All right. 30, 30 days. No, um, I haven't played Transformers in 30 days or in 30 years. I haven't played soccer in probably, uh, I'd say, 10 years that, since I've been on a real soccer team. Uh, I haven't watched a movie out of this DVD in seven or eight years out of this binder. We watch movies sometimes on TV, but there's hardly ever a dedicated time where we could get and watch a movie. These were all my heart's desire, but they change. They change over time. I'm sure if you were up here, you'd be able to share the same thing from your childhood, from your teenage years to, to your early adulthood to, to now. That has changed your heart's desire. 
And so we're looking at that in Philippians uh, chapter 3, and we're looking at what Paul looks at is our hearts changing, but it's changing and growing for God. That we're not to be stagnant in our faith. And, and so often I, I know that people think, okay, I, I go to church, check, that's good enough. Uh, I, I tithe, check, I'm a good Christian. And that's not what Paul's looking for. We say, see later, he's going to say, I want to know Christ. Imagine that, Paul, Paul the Apostle. The greatest example of anyone that would know Christ that I can think of. Uh, the greatest missionary wrote most of our New Testament. And he wants to know Christ more. That's his heart's desire, is for his heart to grow in, in knowing Christ, that his heart's to grow in his relationship with Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we dive into this part of Philippians. It's just this message to the Philippians, to know him, to have our heart change for him. And what, as our heart changes, what would that look like as we change our heart's desire, as our, changes our pursuits, changes our priorities? It changes everything. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, like I said, open at Philippians 3. It's where we're going to start, or we'll have it up on the screen. We'll, we'll have it there on the screen for you at home. We're excited that you're joining us, and we are happy you're here. Um, and so we're going to dive into this and just see what God has to say here as we get into Philippians chapter 3. Remember, Paul is writing this. He's been arrested. He, he's, in, he's locked up next to a guard. He's been arrested for his faith for being a Christian, for preaching. He was arrested. He's in the temple, and we see it in Acts in chapter 21, I believe, or 26, somewhere in there. Look in the 20s, just read them all. It'll do us all good. Um, and Paul is in the temple, and, he, and he's just there. He's not even pushing Christ at this moment, but they come and arrest him for preaching the word. They come and arrest him for telling him about Jesus, and now he's gone through this whole ordeal of being arrested and shipwrecked and in prison and, and so forth, all for the sake of the gospel. And he begins this part of his letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it is a safeguard for you. I love that rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write that. Man, if I was writing all of you from prison, I think it'd be trouble for me to write that. Be like, oh, the food's awful. Oh, my cellmate's mean. Oh, everyone picks on me when we play soccer in the, in the jail cell. And, and I'd be t writing this stuff, but instead he's saying rejoice. It's no trouble for me to say that. And then he tells him, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. He's warning the Philippians, he's writing, and he would love to go and to be able to speak and to teach them and to correct the sound doctrine, and he can't do that, so he does it in a letter, and he says, watch out for those dogs. Now for us, dogs are cute little cuddly things. Dogs back then were, were filthy, dirty Savage animals. He's saying, watch out for those. Those evildoers. Those dirty ones. Those mutilators of the flesh. And what he's talking about here is the Judaizers. These were the Christians that came from, from Juda Judaism and, and the Jewish believers. And they have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. But they believe that there's a condition that you must first become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And to do so would mean that you'd have to be circumcised. To do so, you'd mean you'd have to follow the Jewish ways. And so Paul is writing to a Gentile city here. And he's saying, watch out for those that are warning you. You 
have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Others are telling you there's a condition with it. Others are telling you you have to do this before you can be with Christ. Others are telling you that you have to be circumcised before you can have a relationship with Jesus. And Paul is saying, watch out for those people because there aren't conditions to your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is between you and Jesus. He's saying to those that are saying you have to be circumcised, don't live for that. Don't believe in that. It's about your heart. Has your heart changed, you Philippians? Is your heart now geared towards God? Is that your sole desire is to pursue Him? Is your heart changed? If so, that's all that matters. To pursue this change is not a physical change. It's not what those people are putting on the outside. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. He writes a similar thing to the church in Galatia. He says, for both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation, Galatians 6.15. He's saying that we, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter the outside influences. What matters is between you and God. This is an important message for the church in Philippi. A young church that's trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it means when their leader, their, their founder is in prison because of Jesus. So there's got to be fear. There's got to be questions, confusions. And he's saying what's most important is your relationship, your walk with Jesus Christ. Is it real? Is it intimate? Is it a special relationship? It's not this other stuff that the, the Jewish believers are putting on the outside on you. It's your walk with Christ. Romans 8 Verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. He's saying it's not about the flesh, it's about your relationship with Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit come upon you as you've accepted God. To the Philippians, he's saying, those that are saying you have to be circumcised, don't let them put that condition on you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the specific illustration he has for the Philippians. But I think if he was to write to, to the church of discovery, to the church of, of mankind in 2020, there's a lot of other restrictions that we often have been told that we put on before we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to be perfect before Jesus will accept you. Jesus is never going to love you because you've done this and that and this and that. Oh, if you knew, if Jesus knew the background you have, if he knew the history you have, the sins you have, you can't have a relationship with Christ. I had a, a minister, a fellow minister of mine, his wife was told in high school that if she did anything wrong, she'd be put on the shelf and God wouldn't use her anymore. That is far from the truth. There are not these conditions to having this relationship with Jesus Christ. There are not these conditions to being able to draw close with him and to grow in him and to be connected with him. If someone says you've got to let go uh, of all that you've done, that, that Satan is saying you can't, you can't be with Jesus because of all the things you have done. It's not true. Jesus wants a relationship with us. It's not about these outside things that we are carrying, this baggage that we're holding on to. It's about a relationship and a changed heart with Christ. 
And so the Judaizers are saying you have to be circumcised. And today people are saying you have to be perfect. Today people are saying, what about your past? And Paul is saying, none of that matters. What matters is between you and Jesus. It's the Spirit of God to live inside you. If you have the Spirit of God, you have Christ. And he talks about that, then he tells them, and he sets himself up as the example, that the Judaizers, those that are saying you have to do this and that and this and that to be a good Christian, he says, trust me, I have all those covered. In verse 4, he goes on to say, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul's going on and giving an example that he has all these things. He has this confidence that he could have confidence in all those things that the Judaizers are saying or that mankind is saying. Things that we often put our confidence in. Things such as rituals. We put confidence in our rituals and in in what we do that we go to church every week, so that must make me a Christian. That, that I tithe every time, so that must make, make me right. We put our confidence in our background. He says he was from Israel. He says that he's from the Jew of Jews, the Hebrew of Hebrews. We put it in our background. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents, my grandparents, they were all Christians. That's got to make it okay. It's got to make me saved, right? Sometimes they put our, we put our, our confidence in our standing. He says he was from the tribe of Benjamin. This is one of the better of the best tribes. This is the tribe that stuck with a true Israel, Benjamin and Judah. He's, putting, he's saying I could be confident in my standing and, and sometimes we have that. Confident in, uh, find confidence in my place at work. Look what I've accomplished. Put confidence in my place in, in the neighborhood. Look what I've done. Put confidence even in our comparisons. Well, I'm better than her. I'm better than him. In this idea of these standings. Put confidence in rule keeping. Paul kept all the rules. We often think, well, I'm a good Christian if I don't swear and I don't drink and I don't chew. And I don't hang out with those who do. Right? That makes us a Christian. Even put, people put confidence in their passion. He says, as far as zeal, I had it. I was persecuting Christians. As far as that excitement, I was, I, was, I was as excited as there could be. And so we put our confidence in all these things. Paul did, and the people of that time would have put it in all these things. It's no different than today. We could apply ourselves to each one of these. That sometimes as Christians, as believers, we can put our confidence in those things. But he says, he goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, these were all gains, right? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. The actual word here for garbage is dog excrement, right? And it's even more blunt than that if you were to write it out, okay? So that is a very graphic. And remember, he talked about beware of those dogs, it's a very graphic illustration he's saying. I consider them all garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ and righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. All the passion, all the upbringing, all the background, all the standing mean nothing. They are all considered loss to Christ, to Christ Jesus, who following Christ Jesus has put him in prison, to following Christ Jesus has had him beaten, following Christ Jesus has had him shipwrecked, following Christ Jesus has had him on the verge of death, following Christ Jesus has had all these things, and they are considered gain because he has Jesus Christ. I love that. This is a heart that's passionate for Jesus. That Jesus is a gain despite shipwrecks and, and near-death experiences. All this was just lost. Jesus is gain. And so it goes, he goes on to say, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I just wanted to read these verses again because I think they're so important for us to catch. That I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This idea of this faith, that is more important than anything else. That's more important, this whole list of great qualifications that Paul had is the righteousness he found through faith, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not by that list that we have on that side. It's not by the things that we can do, the things that our family has done before us, the things that we accomplished, the task that we say makes us a great Christian, that we did this, that we did that every week. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is where our salvation comes. That everything else was considered loss. But to know Christ is gain. Paul is convinced of this. This is why we, this is our theme for this series, is convinced, is that Paul was convinced that his faith is what saves him. Paul is convinced that it is through relationship with Jesus Christ that he is saved. Paul is convinced that it's through none of this, all of that is lost. This is gain. He is convinced of this faith, that Christ is all that matters, not a long list of accomplishments that sometimes we pride ourselves in. Not a long list of accomplishments that we can hang our hat on and say, well, that makes me a good Christian. No. Growing in Christ makes us a faithful follower of Jesus. That we are to follow him, to pursue him. That this verse, chapter, verse 10, uh, chapter 3 of Philippians says, Paul says, Paul, of all people, says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. This is a common theme throughout Philippians that Paul talks about knowing Christ, working out our, our salvation. That he says in, working out, in chapter 2, working out our salvation through pain, through pain and suffering, that the church, in the church world, this word is called sanctification. That is, once we've been saved, it doesn't just end there. It's us continuing to work on our faith, 
us continuing to draw closer to Christ, to know him more. That as we change, that our, hearts, our heart changes, that it wants to know him more and more. And what at one time was an elementary level of faith, now is more depth. And at that level, that you want more, and you get to a new level. And at the next level, you want more, and your heart continues to transform as this desire to draw closer to God. I hope that describes you and me. Does it? Does your heart desire to draw closer to God? Not just does your heart desire to check off that I was at church on Sunday morning. Because that would be on the rituals. That's considered loss. It's your heart desire Jesus Christ, which is considered a gain. Are we pursuing him with everything we have, with our heart's desire? There's an old hymn that, that I, I love the, the words to. It's, it's an old hymn written by Isaac Watts in the 1800s. It's called, the One, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I think we have the words, and I just want to read through the different verses real quick. Just dive into this song with me, if you will, to see how someone captured what this felt like. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most. I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his hands, from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Dead air such love or sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Isaac Watts suffered from ill health from, a chi from childhood. He get, contracted a disease in childhood, and it made him ill for the rest of his life. In fact, the last 30 years of his life, he was more or less an invalid. But it was during this time that he was able to write what many people say is the greatest English hymn of all time. That his heart, that Jesus was so important. Jesus is such a gain that it demands his all. Would we be able to say that? Are we pursuing Christ so much that he is the gain that we would let go of our all to pursue him, that he demands everything from us? Jesus shares at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where is our treasure? Where is our heart? I hope our heart is changing. I hope our heart is growing with wanting this desire for Christ that we could say we're different now than we were five years ago than we were ten years ago in our walk with God. That our heart's is leading us to change, to let go of those habits that are keeping us from a walk, closer walk with him, to go, that our heart is changing to give our, our all, that our heart is changing to let go of the pain and guilt that we've been carrying all around for just too long. <clears throat> that this 
It would be our heart. Something a lot of you might not know about me, I shared it with the worship band in the back, and they were all pretty excited because I told them, guess what? Today I'm doing a magic trick. I love magic, all right? I, I love magic. I can't get enough of it. And so I need uh, someone from the audience, someone that uh, we've not set this up ahead of time, someone that I don't know. Um, you, sir, with the ball. Would you come, uh, the, the grown man with the ball, would you come on up? I, uh, and so I've always wanted to do this. I'm so excited. I have a magic show and an audience member. Why, thank you, sir. Uh, it, it, before everybody, um, have we ever met Carl? I mean, what's your name? Oh. Carl, have we ever met before? Uh, well, I no, you, you can. It's okay. Yeah, say no. Say no. Okay. And so Carl, a completely random stranger, uh, has come up, and I have a magic trick. A full deck of cards, correct? Yes, everybody? Yeah, the Joker, the instruction card's in there too. Uh, so to tell you about it, I love magic. Like, I can't get enough magic books. Um, every time we go on vacation, I buy a new deck of cards because I forget the one that I bought earlier. And so Sarah just knows it's a designated $2 stop at, at the Dollar General, and I can get cards on our vacation. And I just watch YouTube videos of magic tricks the entire time. I love magic. I love watching any magic show. Um, uh, there's a documentary on Harry Houdini that I made Sarah watch. Every one of those she's watched with me. There's multiple Harry Houdini ones. I love magic. And so I can't get enough of it. I practice it all the time. And so this is all honest and true. I love magic. So I wanted to show everyone a trick because this goes with the message. So pick a card, any card. Are you sure you learned that one? All right. All right, look at it. Show the crowd. And then Chris told me, if you show it, uh, hold it firm, he can zoom in so all those at home can see it. All right, can you all see? All right. The trick got easier. And so, all right, so I'll, I'll shuffle real quick. You guys can see I'll try and shuffle where I, everyone can see. All right, now, Carl, right? Okay. Uh, if you'll go ahead and put that in here, wherever you want. Okay, right there. Okay, there goes your card. All right. Now, would you, uh, I'll go ahead and shuffle. All right, <clears throat> because I don't know, you might mess it up. All right, and so there we go. Uh, now, Carl, if I did this right, pick a card, any card. There you go. Is that your card? All right, can you show everyone to make sure? All right, is it his card? All right, it failed. So. Carl, go ahead and have a seat. Um, the other thing that you don't know, yeah, give Carl a hand. Give Carl a hand. The other thing you don't know is I love magic tricks, and I'm awful at them. This happens every single time. And that was not just, like, I have in here, fail at magic trick in my notes because I knew that would happen. I'm awful at it. Uh, I watch these magic tricks all the time. I know all about magic. I know how to do these tricks. I practice it by myself and then I do it in front of my kids and it fails and they just laugh and my family just laughs and it's this common like running joke in my family. They're like, what's the new magic trick you have that's not going to work? And I show them and it never works every time. The point of this, I know all about magic. I've read books, I've watched documentaries, I have practiced endlessly. I know all about magic, but I don't know magic. I'm not good at magic. I can't do magic. A lot of times in our spiritual walk, we think knowing about Jesus is the same as knowing Jesus, and it's not. 
We think knowing about Jesus, we think the fact that I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, the fact that, that I go this many times in a month, the fact that I do this or that, it counts to having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't. No more than watching all these YouTube videos makes me a good magician. What does make us a relationship with Jesus Christ is pursuing him. Is Paul saying, I want to know Christ more. Is that your heart's desire? I want to ask you, have you changed in the past five years in your spiritual walk? Would you be able to look, would other people be able to see and say, you know, I've seen that she has grown in Christ the past five years. She seems a little different. Would others be able to say he is a different person than he was 10 years ago in his walk with Christ? And if the answer is yes, then great. Your heart is changing and we are continuously growing and maturing in Christ and pursuing him and as Paul says, wanting to know him more. If your answer was no, I don't know that I'm any different than I was 10 years ago. Maybe 10 years ago, but not any different than five. Definitely not any different than a year. I want to tell you, there's hope. There's good news. Hopefully your heart's different than it was 45 minutes ago. And we continue to change and to pursue Christ, to pursue our heart's desire that it is Him. And I pray that this morning will be a change for all of us. And that a week from now, someone might be able to say, someone in your home, someone at your work, just seems something different about you. That a month from now, they'd be able to wonder and start telling others that there's something different. That a year from now, they'd be able to say, you're a different person. What is it? And I hope and pray that each of us, myself included, would be able to be different a year from now and people would be able to say it. And we'd be able to say, we want to know Jesus more. He is our heart's desire and we want to grow in him. If you'll pray with me. God, I just pray that our heart's desire is to follow you, that we are growing closer to you, that we are maturing in our faith in you. God, I pray that we will not just know about you, but we will know you, that we will have a passion to know you. Not just that we have some facts, not just that we have some rituals, not that we have rule keeping, but we have a relationship. Because God, all those are considered loss compared to knowing you, which is considered gain. And God, that is my heart's desire this morning, that we would pursue you in your name. Amen.